Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. We've talked about sleep before, but we're going back to it because I talked very openly that I have massive sleep issues. I'm one of those weird people that I can literally sleep anywhere. I mean, I can put my head down on my desk. I can lay on the floor. I can be, I can sleep on airplanes, all that, but I'm not a good sleeper. I'm not a rest, I'm a very restless sleeper, but it's weird because I can literally sleep anywhere. So we're going to talk some more sleep today. Joining us is Dr. Whitney Roban from Solve Our Sleep. She is a family educational and corporate sleep specialist, as well as the founder of Solve Our Sleep. Hey, Whitney. Hi, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. My first question right off the bat, which is what I was wondering when I was reading all the information about you, is how did you get interested in sleep? Yeah. So I actually um, got in the field of sleep about 16 years ago before anybody really spoke about sleep. And it was like a badge of honor to say how little you slept. And things have changed in the time I've been in the field. So um, that's great. I'm a clinical psychologist by training. So um, my profession, um, I was doing research and working as a therapist. And then I had my own kids. And um, I actually had my first, um, I found out I was pregnant on 9-11 with the anniversary coming up. And um, my whole company that I was working for restructured. And they said, I was supposed to go back part-time and they said all or nothing. And I said, you know what? I, I want to stay home with my son. And he wasn't a good sleeper. And so I started going to these groups at the 14th Street Y in New York City. And mm-hmm. the head of the 14th Street Y said to me, I was giving sleep advice and my kid was sleeping great and nobody else's was. And she said, you should really do this as a profession. And I said, but it's not a profession because sleep coaching didn't exist then. And so I was one of the first that started a private practice um, and really focused just on sleep. And once I got the kids to sleep, then all the parents said to me, now help me. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, the private practice started, expanded to work with children through adults. And then something I thought about was why isn't sleep taught in schools? It's the single most important behavior we do every day. And kids need to learn how to be great sleepers so they don't grow up being horrible sleepers like so many adults are. Like me. Yeah. So wouldn't it be great? You you learn about um, physical education in schools, you learn about nutrition in schools, but that third pillar of health, which is sleep, is not taught in schools. So I wrote a school curriculum and I do a lot of work with sleep workshops for teachers and nurses and parents and kids in schools. And then I moved it into the corporate world um, because as we know, sleep is so important to be successful in the office. Well, now virtually, but if we ever get back to the office as well. So um, that's, you know, family, corporate, educational sleep specialists is how um, that was all built. Wow. Um, I'm dying to ask, were you always a good sleeper? I was. And sleep was always so important to me. And really, like my kids are the reason this happened because I had a, a two. I have, now my kids are 16 and 19. But um, so I was living in New York at the time with the first one. And then I moved to Los Angeles. And 
nobody was sleeping there either. And that's really when I started the practice. Um, when my second son was six months old and we were living in LA and they said, well, people aren't sleeping on both coasts. They're probably not sleeping everywhere. And I really had a lot of empathy for parents because I know I couldn't be the best parent. I can be without sleep. So, um, you know, I love it. It's, it's literally the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life. So you're naturally a good sleeper. Are some people just naturally good sleepers? Yeah, some sleepers. I always say everybody can be a good sleeper, but some are great sleepers. Um, Without, you know, I'm a behavioral sleep specialist, a psychologist. So I don't deal with um, medical reasons that people don't sleep, like apnea or things like restless leg or things that maybe would, um, you know, medications. But take away all of health issues, we all can be good or great sleepers. And I have a lot of friends now that are getting a little bit older, as we all do, Mm -hmm. um, and dealing with, you know, the perimenopause and menopause issues. And so a lot of great sleepers for women um, who used to be, you know, and said, I was a great sleeper my whole life, are it now. So um, sleep changes through the ages. What is the, what what are the biggest problems of not getting, I don't want to say enough sleep, because I think that's different for everybody, correct me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. but not getting good sleep. So there's sleep quantity and then there's sleep quality. So I think when you were describing how you can sleep anywhere, but you're a restless sleeper, so you probably don't have good quality sleep, even though you might get quantity of sleep. So adults need between um, seven and nine hours of sleep on average, with the average being eight hours of sleep. But within that, it's not just how many hours you sleep, it's whether you're sleeping deeply and whether you don't wake up fully through the nights. We all wake up through the night. That's totally normal. Um, Most people wake up between five to six times a night, but it's, do you remember it? Um, If you get up to use the restroom, can you go right back to sleep? Um, And, you know, if if you're getting in your deep REM sleep and your restorative sleep, which is so important. Because I wore one of those sleep trackers for a while and I stopped because I was so like disappointed in myself every morning (laughs) and I didn't think I should be starting my day going, God, I failed again. Well, you know, a big part of sleep, well, okay, the number one cause of sleep problems outside of medical issues is anxiety and stress, right? So as I'm trained as a cognitive behavioral psychologist, so your brain Um, controls your body. So for most of us, our bodies know what to do. The problem is our brain and it's the stress and the thoughts and the anxiety. So a lot of people have sleep anxiety. So it's kind of like what you were just saying about the sleep tracker. If it's going to make your anxiety worse or make (laughs) you feel worse that you're not a good sleeper, that's only going to make your sleep more difficult that night. So definitely for people like that, I say sleep trackers are not a good thing if you get too obsessed about the numbers. Can we ever actually catch up on sleep? Because you always used to say, oh, I'm going to catch up. So for example, my mom could go and 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 and not a lot of sleep. Mm -hmm. And then she would literally get into bed for a weekend and just sleep. So um, I talk with a lot of um, teenagers and college kids about this. Both you and I have um, college College age students, college age children. And they're the worst sleepers. And the main reason is 
um, because of their messed up circadian rhythm. Well, of course, sleep environment with their dorms and, you know, alcohol is not good for sleep. We can talk about that. Yeah. Oh, you know, we're getting into all that. All that stuff. (laughs) Uh, But really, it's um, one of the most important aspects of your sleep is to have a consistent circadian rhythm, which is your sleep-wake cycle. So um, when I do these workshops with teenagers and college students, I always say to them about how many hours do you get during the week? And it would be, you know, four, five, six is probably good, which is not, you know, they need a lot more than that. Teenagers need nine. So they're not getting great sleep. But what happened when you get on the weekends, 11 or 12? I'm catching, just what you said, I'm catching yeah. up on sleep. But what that does is it messes up our whole circadian rhythm. So the next night is going to be so difficult to fall asleep because your body is not going to know when it should be waking up and going to sleep. So ideally, and I know we don't live in an ideal world and the college environment, let's say is not ideal or how, you know, your mom, how hard she worked. And it's not ideal to not be able to sleep during the week, but have to catch up on the weekends. We would ideally like to go to bed and wake up about the same time every day with really just the variability of about an hour on weekends. So that's the goal. But can you catch up on sleep? You can, you can't, you can catch up on sleep, but it will, for that, it's temporary. Got it. Right. So then that you might catch up that day, but you will probably feel worse when you wake up because you're going to be out of whack and then you're going to have a hard time falling asleep that night. So then what you try to do to catch up, you just prevented from sleeping well the next night. There's something called social jet lag. Have you ever heard that term? No, but I like it. So social jet lag. So remember when we used to travel, we're starting to travel now, but pre-pandemic, when if you traveled out of time zones, you know that feeling of um, getting off of a plane in another time zone and feeling like nauseous and you have a headache Mm -hmm. and you're kind of foggy. So if you're going to try to do that catch up on the weekends, on Monday morning, you're going to experience something called social jet lag, which is that same feeling of like grogginess and headachey and maybe nausea because you're messing up your circadian rhythm. Well, that explains a lot of why I wake up feeling like crap a lot. <laughs> but you brought up our kids. Like, my son literally can crash during the day, crash again. And I, I mean, when he, and, you know, they always say, oh, they're, when they're growing, they sleep a lot. Is that a myth or is that true? That is true. Um, there's reason that we have um, growing pains at night because our body actually secretes the growth hormone while we're sleeping. So, but- yeah. So um, sometimes parents will say, oh, you know, I don't understand. They're always saying their hips or their legs hurt. That happens to my kids too. So that something I talked to with little kids who are so into, you know, be, growing to be big and strong and being fast, you know, on the soccer field, our body does all it's growing while it's sleeping. But even now with my son at 20, I have literally, he is, he, he sleeps a lot. Is that still normal? It is normal. Um, it depends also on how consistently he's sleeping. Um, and is he an athlete? Yes. Uh, so there too, um, you know, there. All of our, my, my son's an athlete too. He's a basketball player. Um, all of the repair, muscle repair happens while we sleep. Cell repair happens while we sleep. That's why almost every single um, sports, professional sports team has a sleep coach because they understand how important it is to sleep. So his body is craving 
that sleep to repair. Um, muscle memory happens while we sleep. So all the training that he's doing during the day in whatever sport he plays, that goes from the muscles into the um, muscle memory while you sleep too. So it's just so incredibly important. And it's great that he's getting that out of sleep. But he does it a lot of times, as do I, naps. Are they good or bad? Because there's the old, there, yeah. there's the, the the legend that basically Churchill won World War II through naps, that he would just be able to crash, get up, crash, get up. I mean, how how good are naps? Or are they not good for us? I, I'm a, I love a good nap. You nap? Um, I've never personally been um, a napper, but I am pro-nap. So um, there's a couple of rules about naps that you should just try to remember. And this is something also that college kids and teenagers don't really listen to. So um, naps should be 30 minutes or less. That's the first rule. So if you're going to take a nap, you should set your, um, a, a, you know, your phone, if it's by you, or an alarm for 25 or 30 minutes. Reason being that you don't want to start cycling into your deep sleep. Did you ever nap for a really long time and again you wake up feeling worse? You're like, oh, why did I do that? Yeah, I, I mean, think, I can oh. crash for an hour. Easy. And it's sometimes you wake up and you're like, oh, I, I should have just not napped because I don't feel good now. You're just out of it. So 30 minutes or less will give you that extra boost of energy you need if you had a bad night of sleep before to get through the day. But you don't want to sleep too much so it won't affect, again, your circadian rhythm, your sleep-wake cycle for that night. So if you're only napping 30 minutes or less, you'll still be able to fall asleep. You know, we're, at a reasonable time. we're, we're constantly, you know, I've, I just it's <clears throat> such a fascinating field because now we're constantly bombarded with new sleep aids and tricks and accessories. You know, I just bought a new pillow, any special type of blanket, the spray, the sound machine, you know, and now also with gummies and all that kind of stuff and medications. What do any of these truly work? Or is it something that we just, we we believe it's going to work. So we psychologically trick ourselves and then become dependent on it. It's a great question, Melissa, because this sleep has become a multi-billion dollar industry, right? Because like I said, years ago, nobody talked about sleep. It was a badge of honor to not get sleep. Now, there's not a medical doctor that's going to tell you that sleep is not important. Half of what I talk about besides the hows is the whys, and the whys is why is sleep so important. So I love that the, the world has really caught on to this. But of course, that comes with marketing. So um, I mean, different things we can talk about. So one of my most favorite things um, that really help sleep are sleep masks. Really? People don't use them. I don't, I, I close my drapes, mm-hmm. but I don't use a sleep mask because I feel like I, I, I would be like, Dah! you know, I wake up in the middle of the night, like clawing at it or freaked out. I mean, because yeah. I'm, I'm one of those people who like, has this fear of being buried alive. And I feel like that would do that to me. If that's going to make you feel like claustrophobic, a lot of people feel that way about weighted blankets. So that's another product that's become really popular. People ask me my opinion on that. Anything that's going to give you anxiety, do not use. 
doesn't matter if I say it's good. It has to be good for you. And everything that I recommend, I try myself. So for weighted blankets, I love a weighted lap blanket. And I use that when I'm relaxing before bed. But personally, I don't like to sleep with a weighted blanket because of that feeling, like you said, I don't feel, I don't like that kind of claustrophobic feeling when I'm sleeping. Um, but sleep masks, because if it's going to make you anxious, don't use it. But one of the most important things in our sleep environment is to sleep in real darkness. And sometimes light comes in, or if you're sharing the bed with a partner, if they're watching TV, they get up earlier than you, go to bed later than you. It's really helpful to be in the dark. So sometimes if I am sleeping great, and then sometimes I'll wake up at 5.30 in the morning, let's say I don't have to get up until 7 or 7.30. If I put on my sleep mask, I can go right back to sleep. It's very comfortable. It feels good on the eyes. um, And it blocks out all the light. So your body keeps reducing melatonin. It needs to fall asleep. So that's something. Um, You mentioned gummies. That's always a big question, right? Are you talking about like CBD gummies? Oh, I'm talking about the fully loaded gummies. THC gummies, all of that. The whole thing. Right. So that's also huge. Um, The sale of melatonin during the pandemic went up 200%. Wow. Yeah. People were definitely struggling. And why do do you think? Because what are they Anxiety. Anxiety, right? We were all completely stressed out. What's the other thing I talked about? Your circadian rhythm. Everybody's sleep wake cycles were totally messed up. We stopped going into an office. Consistency, kids weren't going to school. So those such important things were all kind of, you know, thrown out of whack during the pandemic. So melatonin and all of that. Melatonin works for probably about 50% of the people. Um, problems with melatonin is number one, it's not FDA regulated. So um, sometimes there is, they found when they've studied the actual gummies that there's about 10 times more melatonin in it than it says on the label. So you just have to be careful. The other thing is a lot of parents give it to kids. Um, Sometimes the melatonin gummies can start at five or 10 milligrams. You should be starting at 0.5 and seeing if it works, right? The lowest. Sometimes the gummies are have other things in them like CBD or THC. So you really want to be careful with that. That maybe if you want that, okay, one thing, but you're not giving that to your kid. Or if that's not what you want, you want to look at the um, bottle. There's sometimes magnesium in it, alfinine. There's so many things that they put in, you know, mix into them. Um, and the other thing is your body can get used to it. So how, you know, it's, it should be temporary. So melatonin really is, um, it's not a sleep aid where it makes you sleepy. It fixes your sleep wake cycle. So originally it was used for people flying through time zones or night shift workers. So it's really something that should be temporary. So, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say something with kind of THC, every, you get, your body gets used to it and you tend to take more. And so then we, how will you feel the next day? So some people who take melatonin, um, when I tried it, I don't take it, um, but I tried it, of course, because I have to talk about things that I tried. Um, the next morning, I kind of felt nauseous and I had a headache. So that, those can be side effects. So when you're giving it to children or maybe a child that's very young, as I know a lot of parents give it to very young kids, they might not be able to express themselves the next day if they're not feeling so great. And it could be because of the melatonin. So what about, I mean, all, I mean, I guess that you kind of answered the question that all those over-the-counter products, like I know like NyQuil made NyQuil sleep. So those are all basically, you know, Tylenol sleep. Are those basically just melatonin? No, those those have other things in them. You always have to check the label and you want to make sure that if you're taking any medication, um, the thing about these being, you know, natural and supplements and all the gummies 
is that, so the good news is there's no research that shows they're bad, right? So if you're okay. taking, if you're listening and you've been taking it already, it's okay. You just want to make sure you know how much you're taking. Ask your doctor, even though you think of it as just a vitamin or a supplement, make sure it has no counter effects with anything that you're taking. And also realize that you really should just, so I recommend for, um, for teenagers when they had to go back to school, you want to get your sleep-wake cycle back on track. I don't recommend taking things, but if you're going to take a supplement, like a melatonin, it's temporary. So how I work in my private practice is something called CBTI, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia. And that is the number one proven, most effective um, treatment for insomnia and sleep and, and what is it? Talk me, give me, give me the cliff notes on that. So it's, um, so again, your brain controls your body. So there's different tenets to it. Um, it's your sleep schedules. It's your sleep hygiene. It's, um, there's a, a 30, 30 rule. So if you're waking up in the middle of the night, let's say, what do you do? Most people lay there and they stare at the clock, right? And you count. Right. If I fall asleep now, I'll get four more hours. If, right. I, if I fall asleep, I'll get three and a half. And what does that do? That increases your anxiety. So the 30-30 rule is if you've been in bed for 30 minutes, you get out of bed. I recommend that everybody in their house, if you're not a great sleeper, have sleep issues, creates a space called a sleep oasis. And you have it ready just in case you're not going to sleep well that night. And set it up with um, something else I love is all, all lavender. Lavender sprays for me. That's mm-hmm. a smell that, you know, induces sleep. Um, vanilla is also really good. Chamomile is good. But for me, I would particularly use lavender. Maybe you have your weighted lap blanket. You have a book. You can have um, white noise or relaxing music. Everything is there waiting for you. And you get out of bed and you go to your sleep oasis and you do something very relaxing for another 30 minutes. And then you get back into bed and you try to fall asleep. So there's different tenets to it that will help you um, relax and learn good sleep habits and sleep scheduling and anxious thoughts. So a lot of it is just like cognitive behavioral therapy. I teach people how to lower their anxiety. So these are things, methods that you can use for sleep, but you can also use them before an exam if you're a kid or, you know, big presentation at work, different breathing techniques, um, thoughts and cognitive restructuring. So it's, you know, a little bit of anxiety work in there too. And um, it really works is, you know, and it's temporary. It's, it's, you don't have to do it once a week. It's not like it's a psychotherapy where you're laying on the couch for, you know, years between four and six sessions and you're done. That's great. And it's great. And there's no side effects. So, um, though, you know, the world, we're so quick to just want a quick fix and to pop something or, you know, buy all these gadgets and everything that we hope will fix our sleep. But really what you have to do is just put in the hard work. Are the sound, are the sound machines any good? I mean, again, I'm I'm not pro or against years ago before we had them as apps. I used to tell people the problem with sound machines is that you get used to it and then you might forget to bring it on a vacation and then you can't sleep. Well, because I have a friend who literally travels with a sleep machine. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, because you get used to it and then you get, you think you kind of get addicted. You think that you can't sleep without it. But now we have that on our phone. There's tons of meditation apps and white noise and things. So you're, you're going to bring your phone with you on vacation. So I'm not as opposed to it anymore, just because you always be able to bring it with you when you're going to stay at a hotel. You really want to 
bring as much as you can when you're traveling so it feels your your hotel room feels comfortable because when we sleep you ever go to a hotel and you're on vacation for about a week and the first few nights you sleep horribly and just as kind of like you're getting into the good sleep group your vacation's over because our brain is so active when you're sleeping in a new environment. It's like a fight or flight response and it's much harder to fall asleep until it gets used to it. So to bring things that feel comforting to you, like the smell, like a, you know, a lavender spray or that white noise or your sleep mask, um, maybe your favorite pillow will give you a feeling of a sense of home. It might make it easier for you to fall asleep when you're traveling. We touched on this earlier. How does sleep change through your lifetime? Mm-hmm. I mean, you hit on the perimenopause and the menopause thing, which a lot of us can relate to, really messes with your sleep. Like when you wake up basically from sweating in a puddle. How does it change through your lifetime? So I'll talk about that in a second, but I want to I want to go back to what you're saying about waking up in a puddle. <laughs> yes. Um, so my recommendation is to put your temperature in your room when you're going to sleep all the way down freeze yourself out i sleep with my room at 64 degrees i sleep at 67 i feel like but also because i like having a blanket on me Mm -hmm. and i'm always you know working my way around the bed to stay cool Mm -hmm. yeah so that's a big problem in menopause or night sweats And um, if you're, and most people sleep with their room around 70 to 72 degrees is what I hear from people. Oh my God. I would feel like I'm suffocating. Exactly. So for me, I keep my home actually very warm during the day, probably warm for most people. So it's not like I always like it cold, but as soon as I get into bed, I put it down to 64 degrees. So your room should be between 60 and 68 degrees. And then you can, like you said, you get your, your comforting blanket. You could put on nice, you know, um, socks to go to bed and layers and have really good, you know, pajamas and everything that feels comfortable in your bed. But then you could always take that off the layers if you're getting too hot. If your room's too hot, what are you going to do? I mean, you could put on your layers if you're getting too cold, but if your room's too hot, how many layers can you take off, right? You're right. keep you up at night. So it's better to be cold and put back on the layers than to be too hot and wake up in a pool of sweat every night. But how, how does change? I mean, obviously, you know, kids sleep more because they're growing. So how does, how, what are sort of the, the, pillars of, of how kids or how you should be sleeping throughout your lifetime? So um, babies can actually start sleeping through the night um, between around four months of age. So my rule to start working with the family would be four months and 14 pounds. Um, and you have to get the green light from your pediatrician to make sure there's no other health issues or feeding issues or digestive issues that come into play. Um, naps, if there's parents of young kids listening, kids nap All kids through the age of two need to nap. Most three-year-olds need to nap. Some four-year-olds need to nap and a few five-year-olds need to nap. So a lot of parents make the mistake of taking away naps at too young of an age. You always have to remember, the more sleep you get, the more sleep you want. Your body loves sleep once it starts getting it. So for kids, you want them to nap until as late as they can. So most of the families I work with, I'll have the, the kids napping through the age of three, unless they're in the school where they're not um, giving them nap time. And kids need 11 to 12 hours of sleep. 
So that's a lot of sleep. That's a lot of sleep. A lot of sleep. A lot. I don't know if you think back to when your child was young. A lot of families will call me. Most kids are them sleeping eight to nine, maybe 10 hours. And the parents will say, there is no way. And I say, our goal is at the end of our time working together, your child's going to be sleeping 11, 12 hours. And they'll say, there's no way. My child has never slept more than 10 hours. I've been doing this now for 16 years. I've never worked with a family whose child slept less than 11 to 12 hours. Every kid has. I'm sure there will be one that that won't, but that's how much sleep they need until they're six. So these are for, that's for little kids. Mm -hmm. Then when they're from age six until 12, they need 10 to 11. So it's really not all that less as they're getting older and getting, um, becoming teenagers. Then the teens, (laughs) teens need about nine hours of sleep. Yet they sleep all the time. They sleep at the wrong times. (laughs) Oh no, mine just slept all the time. So um, a lot, especially during the pandemic, a lot of kids were sleeping, were up all night, you know, video chatting and and on there playing video games and sleeping all day long. So you want to get those nine hours also at the right time. And it's very difficult um, when you go to college to continue getting those nine hours, but it's really important. I talk so much about the whys for college students, about why sleep is so important. They really have to buy into that. And then adults need between seven and nine hours, like I said, so the average being eight. And a lot of adults will say to me, well, how do you beat seven, eight, or nine? That is a big difference. How do you know? So my advice always is you find a week where you don't have to set an alarm and try to go to sleep about the same time every night and see what time your body body naturally wakes up. So if we are not sleep deprived, if we are well rested, you should be able to wake without an alarm clock. Most of us don't because most of us don't get enough sleep. So I did this many years ago and I realized I was an eight hour sleeper. And so that's my goal. So usually I have to wake up about seven. My goal is to be asleep by 11. Do I reach it every night? No, but it's good that you have a goal. That's, and you can set up your evening and your your day and your evening. So that's your goal. Maybe 11.30 to 7.30. Some nights, if I get seven, that's fine. It happens. You can't stress yourself out. Anything less than seven for me, I'm just not really feeling on. Make it through the day. You power through the day, but not feeling great. Anything less than six, no good. Some people just need a little bit more. And then as you get older, you still need about the same amount of sleep. It's just the circadian rhythm switches a little bit. And um, older people tend to wake up a lot earlier. Why? nap. Why do we, why do older people, you always hear about, you know, hence the early bird specials. Mm-hmm. Why is everyone's grandma up at five thirty and six? Yeah. Their bodies just change and their circadian rhythm just changes. It's the melatonin production. So melatonin is the sleep hormone. That's the hormone we need to feel right. Sleep, right. And the biggest cause of the reason that everybody's buying melatonin and our bodies are not producing it naturally is why? Stress. Stress Anxiety. Our phones and electronics. Well, that's what I wanted to get to is how, you know, we always hear, you know, put your phone in the other room, put, but mm-hmm. I use also an iPad to read on. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it becomes sort of this, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I know the phone creates in social media, like you're up scrolling and you're doing this yeah. and you're, you know, a lot of, you know, fear of missing out. A lot of FOMO happens and yeah. all these different things happen. But is it the blue light yes. or is it the actual content? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It is both. You hit the nail on the head. It's both. So from a medical perspective, 
blue light that is emitted from our devices goes into our eyes, tricks our brain into thinking that it's daytime. And when it's light, melatonin production is controlled by light. So when it's the, your body thinks it's daytime, it stops melatonin production. And at night, the melatonin production increases. So if you're going to have the blue light directly in front of your face before you go to sleep, your melatonin is not going to start to increase. So that is the medical reason why. And then the other one is the cognitive or the mental health reason. So um, our phones are made, our iPads, all social media was made for us to be addicted. And we all are. Right. But I read on my iPad. Okay. A like book. My, a book. Uh-huh. Okay. So as long as you're not doom scrolling and reading, you know, news, especially in the past year, you know, and a half of the pandemic, anything, we don't want to be um, stimulated, be it with positive or negative information. So a book is okay if it's making you tired, but it's not something if you're the kind of person that can't put it down until you finish it, that's not going to work. So it should be something that relaxes you and makes you tired, but you can put down when you're actually feeling sleepy. But isn't that, isn't reading on my iPad defeating the purpose with the blue light? Yes. So you should, ideally you would have an old fashioned traditional book. Um, that you can, you know, buy. But if you're going to use your iPad, then there's blue light blocking products that you should use and they really help. What what are they? Um, There's a company that I work with called OcuShield and they might, um, it was uh, started by an optometrist and they are medically grade um, products that will block out the blue light. So I have that on my computer and my phone, my kids use it. And so if you have to, because, you know, again, I said it ideally, right? I always talk in the ideal world. Ideally, all electronics are off an hour before we go to bed and charge outside of the room. Most people are not going to listen to that advice. So we say, okay, if you cannot, if you need it to, you know, you have to do work late at night, your, you know, students are doing work late at night then you need to put these blue light blocking products or you could use blue light blocking glasses as well. Now, I mean, I have to research if blue light blocking glasses can be done with prescription because, well, mm-hmm. I need prescription glasses. Yes, you can. Companies will do that for you now. That's amazing. So that's a good sleep product. What are yes. what are the, of all this, like you said, it's a billion dollar industry now. Mm-hmm. What types of products do you recommend and which should we run away from? Okay. Um, So sleep, a lot of them are for the sleep environment. So um, blackout shades, very important. Tell people, you know, get them. If you cannot get a dark sheet, put it over the window. You definitely don't want light coming into your room. So um, that's really important. Like I had talked about the sleep mask is really important. Um, a sound machine, if you live, maybe um, you share a home with a lot of people that have different sleep schedules, your dog barks through the night, um, you know, your partner is a, snores through the night and you need to block out sound. They have um, headphones now that made for sleep that are very comfortable. So if you really need to block out all that sound, that's another product that is good. Um, sleep trackers for some, but not for others. <laughs> not for me. It became me not anxiety. For not for you. Um, you know, again, if you, if you, one of the good things about sleep trackers, so they're not, they're getting better now. Um, they're not that accurate um, in what, in how they detect when you're sleeping. But 
a lot of people who aren't sleeping well will underestimate how much sleep they're actually getting. So do you ever like talk to somebody to, you know, a couple that shares a room and, and the husband will say, oh, I didn't sleep at all last night. And the wife be like, I heard you snoring from like three to five. Right. We tend to think we sleep less than we do. So sometimes really? the tracker will let you know that you are sleeping um, if you're not really paying attention to how much time you're up in the middle of the night. I know right. last week I woke up in the middle of the night and um, I, I can teach this to you if you want. Yes. And I use this cognitive mm-hmm. distraction. And um, the only reason I know I was up, it's an alphabet game. And the only reason I know that I was up for such a short amount of time is because I only remember getting to F and then it was the next morning. So um, there's a lot of things that, I recommend that you don't actually need to buy. They're just tips and tricks and um, tools that I tell all my clients to use that can help sleep um, probably much better than kind of, you know, any kind of, you know, supplement or a gummy that you're taking. So you want me to teach you this? Yes. Okay. So um, it's called the ABC game. I'll teach you the most simple one and then how it can get a little more complicated for older people because I recommend this to children as well. So ABC game, A is apple, B banana, C cookie. That's really great for like elementary school kids Mm -hmm. and you go through the alphabet. Here's the theory behind this. Remember counting sheep, that old saying? Which old saying? Oh, counting sheep. Yeah, 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 yeah. So why did people say that? All you want to do is distract your mind from all those negative sleep thoughts. I'm going to feel so bad tomorrow. I have a big presentation I'm not going to make. I can't, I'm never going to be a good sleeper watching the clock. This is so stressful, right? All those thoughts, kind of get those away. What do I have to do tomorrow? Oh, I forgot to, you know, do this, get something for my kids for tomorrow. So we need to distract our brain. And that's what counting sheep or this cognitive distraction ABC game does. For older kids and adults, that might not be distracting enough because it's too easy. So then I recommend to theme it. And this is something I did last week when I woke up in the middle of the night. So um, a theme could be all positive words. And I'll say, okay, A is amazing. B is beautiful. C is cute. And I have to go through the whole alphabet thinking of positive words. And again, like I said, I think I got up to F and I went well back to sleep. Yeah. Or you could do negative words like me and I could do like D is for dumbass, F is for failure, E is for, you know, you know, egghead. I don't know. Anything, my friend said, could you do curse words? Anything that you, that will work for you, but you just don't want it to be stressful for you and, you know, anxiety provoking. So um, that's just a really simple, easy game cognitive game that I teach to pretty much all of my clients. And it really works in going back to sleep. The thing that you have to remember with sleep and sleep problems is that they won't go away overnight. So we'd like to be like a light switch where you just turn it off and we go to sleep. It takes work. It takes effort. And it takes- How long does it take? What's the normal- it depends on how committed you are. So the most important thing, again, like I said to you, my, my sleep workshops that I do are, they start with the whys and they get to the house. And I always feel like everybody's kind of rolling their eyes through the whys that they want to get the, the good stuff, right? What I just taught you, all these little tips and tricks I have. But if you don't prioritize sleep and understand how important it is in 
all the things that it affects in a day in your life and all the great things that can result of good sleep, you're not going to make the changes I recommend. So all that advice I give is not good if you don't make sleep a priority. Once you understand for an athlete, for a student, for um, a parent, for a growing kid, for an employee, for upper management, everybody, everybody sleeps. There's nobody that's immune to the negative effects of sleep deprivation. Once you realize my life is going to be so much better with good sleep, then you will do all the things I'm telling you, like putting your phone away and going to buy the book instead of getting, you know, the, the ebook, right? Right. Going to sleep about the same time every day and not trying to do that catch up on sleep maybe going to see somebody for CBTI if you actually think you need um, some more help, you know, some uh, help more than just doing these things on your own. Not drinking before you go to bed. I know. Which is counterintuitive because you think of alcohol as relaxing you, but then you dehydrate and your sugar levels all go up and down. Yes. So it takes, um, you know, five to six hours to metabolize alcohol. You're going to wake up at that point. And alcohol is actually a depressant. So um, it makes us fall asleep easier. It does, but it does not give you good quality. Remember we talked earlier about quality. It does not give you good quality sleep. And you will wake up through the night and you will feel worse the next day, especially if you drank too much. So during the pandemic, a lot of people were drinking a lot more. Yeah, we were. (laughs) So badly, you're only confounding the sleep problems by drinking alcohol. So if you have to drink, it should be, you should stop drinking about two hours before you go to bed. Same thing with a lot of big meals. Um, You know, People at home during the pandemic too were eating all day. It was right before bed. They were eating a lot, maybe snacking on unhealthy foods. A lot of people gained a lot of weight. So a lot of the things we do are just counterproductive for sleep. And you will make those choices if you're not prioritizing sleep. But if you remember, oh yeah, I shouldn't be doing this. This is what I should eat before bed. Or let me finish the alcohol before. Or I should work out in the morning instead of working out right before bed. All those things. Having a bedtime. So my kids always laugh at me. Like, you're the only mom that has a bedtime. I do. I have a bedtime because I know how important sleep is for me. I try to get that amount of sleep every night. I'm going to a party. Of course, that night I'm not going to go to bed at the reasonable time. We have to live life. But it's just making things a priority and having a goal. And then you probably won't need a lot of all of those other things like you're asking me to you know, do and buy. I don't really tell people to go out and buy all that much. There are a lot of things you can do that are just behavior related that will lead to better sleep. Whitney, this has been amazing. Amazing. Um, I, I can't wait to try and sleep tonight. <laughs> I'm getting on Amazon right now. Um, I, I, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much. You're very, very welcome. It is my number one most favorite topic. I can talk about it forever. And um, I hope that you put these tips into use and they really work for you. I'll keep you posted. Definitely. Definitely. 